glad you're in the house of the Lord tonight. Anybody else glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I don't know about you, but all week I have just been in awe. I have no other word, I guess, to describe what we felt in the house of the Lord this past Sunday. I'm so thankful for the presence of God and the fact that every week it just seems as though that God is elevating us to brand new levels that we have never been before. Sunday night, I happened to be sitting in this general vicinity, and as everything was coming to a close, Brother Jerry Blackburn was sitting about where my mom was, and I happened to notice that he had tears in his eyes. And he just looked at me and he said, where can we possibly go from here? Because every week that I think that we have hit a plateau, God just takes us to a brand new level. I am just crazy enough to be convinced that this is just the beginning of what God has in store for the church. Amen. Tonight, I feel, I guess, the weight of the task that is set before me. But I am 110% certain that I have heard from the voice of God. Over the past 40 days, we may have thought that we were in the middle of the battle. But I've come tonight to bring to you that what we have been doing is preparing us for what is in store. And by the end of this message tonight, I am going to be placing a call for those in the army of God to rise to active duty. And before we leave, I am certain that we are going to experience a divine visitation of the Holy Ghost because God is already here. And I know that he has a plan for us. I'm going to take your attention to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Are there any Kleenexes over there, guys? If you could hand me a couple. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, thank you, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Tonight I want to bring to you this message, This Means War. Would you just corporately across this place lift your hands and invite the presence of God? Lord, we worship you tonight. We're so grateful, Lord, that your presence is already in this place. God, I ask that a mighty anointing would rest on me, God, as I deliver the word that you have spoken into our spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears to receive what you would have us to receive. Visit us, Lord, with your presence, and we will give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap a praise as you're seated. The subject of spiritual warfare is not a popular one among many believers because most do not fully comprehend the purpose of the battle. And the majority doubt that spiritual warfare is even real. If I have heard it said once, I have heard it said numerous times, that those who talk about spiritual warfare are extremists or charismatic and even superstitious. This past summer, our boys were at the Indiana District campgrounds, and one of them was in the middle of a conversation with a group of people. A pastor's wife was in this conversation and was giving her opinion on the subject at hand, which was of a story of an individual that had seen and had experienced the supernatural. She turned to our son when it dawned on her that one of the Jordan kids happened to be standing there. And she looked at him and said, oh, yeah, I forgot. Your family does the prayer thing. And my question to her is, yes, we do, and why don't you? It is my opinion that Hollywood and media outlets have contributed to the doubts of spiritual warfare, even among believers. Series and movies such as The Vampire Diaries, Harry Potter, Legends of the Seeker, Merlin, Wizard and Warriors, Witches of East End, The Tomorrow People, Twilight, Teen Wolf, Supernatural, and the worst one of all, Lucifer, are only a handful of the shows that have, uh, that have made spiritual warfare, which is the ultimate battle of good and evil, a fictitious battle to many and a figment of people's imaginations. But I've come to serve notice tonight that it is not a figment of our imagination. It is very much real. 
I believe that if we had a clear understanding of what spiritual warfare actually is, we would be more apt to believe that it is real, and we would be compelled to fight the battle. The Apostle Paul instructs his followers in our text to identify that our battles are not just coincidence. They are not just that we have natural enemies who are against us. They are not just, well, life just happens. We do have an adversary who wants to destroy the church. Spiritual warfare is defined as the battle over the souls of humanity and any attempt to keep the saints from advancing the kingdom of God. Spiritual warfare is not a new phrase or theory that is associated with a charismatic movie, nor is it witchcraft. This war has been raging since the fall of Lucifer and one-third of the angels from heaven. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, you will find accounts of spiritual warfare in heaven. In the Old Testament, you will find it in Genesis, in Isaiah, in Job, in Daniel, and in Zechariah. In the New Testament, you will find accounts of spiritual warfare in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, Hebrews, 1 John, Jude, and Revelation. Our adversary wages war on two fronts, the first being the spiritual. This is through principalities, which are regions that are ruled by a prince. And the region is part of a larger empire through powers, through rulers of darkness, authorities or government leaders that are influenced by or ruled by demonic spirits and through spiritual wickedness in high places. The second front is in the physical. Our adversary wages war in the hearts and in the minds of humanity. Many times this is through doubt and unbelief and fear and offense and anger, jealousy, grudges, haughty spirits, self-righteous spirits, hidden sin, and rebellion, which is the same as witchcraft. Spiritual warfare is real. Your adversary, my adversary, the devil, is seeking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Either we will acknowledge it, Put on our armor through prayer and the word and engage in it and hold our ground or we will become a casualty of the war, as will those that we are responsible for, to fight for and to intercede for. I'm willing to do battle. Hallelujah. I can recall vividly where I was the day that the terrorist attacked on 9-11. My husband and I, many may not know this, were actually scheduled to fly out to New York 
on the 13th, my husband was scheduled to preach a Metro youth rally for the current youth director at that time, Wayne Francis. It was around 8.55 a.m. when my dad came into my house and said, you will not be going to New York. I clearly recall tuning in to the news broadcast and seeing the North Tower engulfed in flames. I remember the utter horror that I felt as I watched the second plane strike the South Tower at 9.03 a.m. Forty minutes later, a third plane crashed into the Pentagon. I literally felt like that it was a dream and that I couldn't believe my eyes. Then in utter disbelief, I watched as the South Tower collapsed at 10.05 a.m. A portion of the Pentagon collapsed at 10.10, while simultaneously the fourth flight crashed in Somerset County, southwest of Pittsburgh. At 10.28, the World Trade Center's North Tower collapsed. At 1.44, the Pentagon said that five warships and two aircraft carriers would be leaving the U.S. Naval Station in Norfolk, Virginia to protect the East Coast. At 2.49 at a news conference, I heard Mayor Rudy Giuliani um, asked about the number of people that had been killed, to which he replied, I don't think we want to speculate about that more than any of us can bear. 2,977 individuals died as a result of 9-11, and I knew that day that that meant war. Nine days later, President George W. Bush addressed the joint session of Congress in what has to be the most impacting speech of my lifetime. For time's sake, I will paraphrase that speech. Dear Speaker, Mr. President Pro Tempore, members of Congress and fellow Americans, in the normal course of events, presidents come to this chamber to report on the state of our union. Tonight, no such report is needed. It has already been delivered by the American people. We have seen it in the courage of passengers who rushed terrorists to save others on the ground. We have seen the state of our union in the endurance of rescuers working past exhaustion. We've seen the unfurling of flags, the lighting of candles, the giving of blood, the saying of prayers in English, Hebrew, and Arabic. We have seen the decency of a loving and giving people who have made the grief of strangers their own. My fellow citizens, for the last nine days, the entire world has seen for itself the state of our union, and it is strong. Tonight, we are a country awakened to danger and called to defend freedom. Our grief has turned to anger, and our anger to resolution. Whether we bring our enemies to justice or bring justice to our enemies, justice will be done. 
I thank the Congress for its leadership at such an important time. All of America was touched on the evening of the tragedy to see Republicans and Democrats join together on the steps of this Capitol singing, God bless America. On September the 11th, enemies of freedom committed an act of war against our country. Americans have known war. Americans have known the casualties of war. Americans have known surprise attacks, but never before on thousands of civilians. All of this was brought up on us in a single day, and night fell on a different world, a world where freedom itself is under attack. Americans have many questions tonight. Americans are asking, who attacked our country? The evidence we have gathered all points to a collection of loosely affiliated terrorist organizations known as Al-Qaeda. Its goal is remaking the world and imposing its radical beliefs on people everywhere. The terrorist directives commands them to kill Christians and Jews, to kill all Americans, and make no distinctions among military and civilians, including women and children. Tonight, the United States of America makes the following demands on the Taliban. Deliver to the United States authorities all the leaders of Al-Qaeda who hide in your land. Release all foreign nationals, including American citizens you have unjustly imprisoned. Protect foreign journalists, diplomats, and aid workers in your country. Close immediately and permanently every terrorist training camp in Afghanistan. And hand over every terrorist and every person in their support structure to appropriate authorities. Give the United States full access to terrorist training camps so we can make sure they are no longer operating. These demands are not open to negotiation or discussion. The Taliban must act and act immediately. They will hand over the terrorists or they will share in their fate. Americans are asking, why do they hate us? They hate what they see. They hate our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and assemble and, and disagree with each other. These terrorists kill not merely to end lives, but to disrupt and end a way of life. With every atrocity, they hope that America grows fearful, retreating from the world and forsaking our friends. They stand against us because we stand in their way. Americans are asking, how will we fight and win this war? We will direct every resource in our command every means of diplomacy, every tool of intelligence, every instrument of law enforcement, every financial influence, and every necessary weapon of war to the disruption and the defeat of the global terrorist network. Now, this war will not be like the war against Iraq a decade ago. Our response involves four more, far more than instant retaliation and isolated strikes. Americans should not expect one battle, but a lengthy campaign unlike any other we have ever seen. 
We will starve terrorists of funding, turn them one against another, drive them from place to place until there is no refuge and no rest. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. The only way to defeat terrorism as a threat to our way of life is to stop it, eliminate it, and destroy it where it grows. I have a message for our military. Be ready. I've called the armed forces to alert, and there is a reason. The hour is coming when America will act, and you will make us proud. Americans are asking what is expected of us. I ask you to live your lives and hug your children. I know many citizens have fears tonight, and I ask you to be calm and resolute, even in the face of, con of a continuing threat. I ask you to uphold the values of America and remember why so many people have come here. We are in a fight for our principles, and our first responsibility is to live by them. Great harm has been done to us. We have suffered great loss, and in our grief and anger, we have found our mission and our moment. Freedom and fear are at war. I will not forget this wound to our country or those who inflicted it. I will not yield. I will not rest. I will not relent in waging this struggle for freedom and security for the American people. The course of this conflict is not known, yet its outcome is certain. Freedom and fear, justice and cruelty have always been at war, and we know that God is not neutral between them. Fellow citizens will meet violence with patient justice, assured of the rightness of our cause and confident of the victories to come. In all that lies before us, may God grant us wisdom, and may he watch over the United States of America. This is war. On Sunday, January the 3rd, 2016, our pastor preached the keynote address to our congregation, Doorway to Dominion. When my husband and I got home that night and laid down to go to sleep, I looked at my husband and kind of laughed, not in a mocking way, but almost in a nervous way. And I asked him, so, are you ready for what is about to come after a call to take dominion? I wrote in my journal the next day as we began the 40-day Daniel fast, today begins a corporate battle, the battle for dominion. Little did I know that that battle would begin immediately. A budget cut of $101,000 was demanded that day of our building project. Project. Yet on the same day, Matt Blackburn contacted me about a vision that God had given him of restoration. And on January the 10th, that restoration was fulfilled. Amen. By the 12th, children who are backslid took drastic steps and broke the hearts of their parents. But at the same time, a parent contacted me, asking me to help pray for a godly mentor to step into her son's life. On January 13th, Pastor Danny 
brought to us a message and declared there is coming a harvest that is beyond our comprehension. And on that same day, our bishop was placed on hospice care. Again, on the 14th, the financing for our new campus was delayed, and another budget cut was required of $100,000. January 15th, Chad Coffey finds out that he is disqualified as a kidney donor because of kidney stones, and his health is attacked, and his confidence in hearing the voice of God was attacked. On January 17th, Mick and Robin asked for prayer because their finances had come under attack. We found out that day that Hannah Fields was severely anemic and that the doctors believed that she was bleeding internally. And Jason Emery's health was in a decline. Yet pastor preached that same day, fear not, and put a praise on it because the victory is coming. On Tuesday, January the 19th, I'm glad I keep a journal, a member of our community speaks the words to my husband. People who are not of your faith will not convert to your church because of all of the restrictions that you place on women for their dress. Wednesday, January the 20th, Brother Brandon warns the church of the danger of spiritual slumber. The church launches into the 21-day Daniel Fast on Saturday, January the 23rd. By the 26th, the ministry and the family of ministries have been attacked both spiritually and mentally. On Friday, January 29th, Spencer ministers to a family of a young man on life support. He experienced that night physical signs of a healing touch, and he also experienced a physical manifestation of the adversary. The bank declares that though our paperwork is in order on this day, that it doesn't make any difference. They are going to require signers. By Saturday the 30th, marriages have come under attack. Yet doctors verify that the prayers of, of Spencer had produced a miracle when they went in for surgery and found no blood clots. <laughs> Sunday, January the 31st, a day that none of us will ever forget, became a game changer for CLC. The message is brought, the beginning of miracles. Brother Anderson speaks in tongues boldly for the first time in five years since his stroke. And then the ultimate happens. Robin's life is taken. It was on this day that our adversary declared war. But our pastor came back that night with miracles part two. And God raised Robin up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 
That afternoon, as I walked into my house between leaving the hospital and coming back to the church, my husband was in the truck on the phone, and I walked into the house, and I was the only one in there, and that is always dangerous for me because you never know what is going to happen, what I'm going to do, and what I'm going to say. But I walked through that house, and something came over me, and I am not one that really wants to engage the devil himself. But I walked through that house, and I yelled out, devil, I want you to know that I hate you, I hate your demons, and I hate your imps. You might have declared war, but you need to know that you have made me angry. And I promise you that from this day forward, I will fight you, I will fight your attacks, I will fight your tactics, and I will expose you every opportunity that I get. This means war. On Monday, February 1st, my husband and I walk into a hospital room to find Robin sitting in a chair with full mental and physical capacity and not one sign of a heart attack in her body. February 2nd, truth is revealed about our loan process. And on the same day, Jerry Hanna testifies that the pain has been taken away from his body because God had healed him. <laughs> February 3rd, the report comes back. No more cancer for Kathy Snyder. No treatment necessary. <laughs> Friday, February the 5th. Andrew Day breaks his ankle playing basketball, but God miraculously puts the bones back in place. And yet on that same day, the deadline for guarantors for our loan is missed. On Saturday, February the 6th, one of the most powerful prayer meetings we have ever had was held. The gifts of faith and healing were imparted to those who were in attendance. Sunday, February 7th, four are baptized and six receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. June Palmer is miraculously touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. Holly Suggs is healed while the word of God is being preached, and he has to take out his hearing aids in order to be able to hear properly. Backsliders were restored. A direct word from God comes forward to prepare, to prepare our hearts. This is war. The most powerful altar service we have ever had takes place on Sunday, February the 7th. Monday the 8th, the loan passes the first committee, but we are still short $150,000. On Tuesday, February 9th, CLC is identified as a cult 
by a Frankfurt police officer in a public setting. This is war. Like President George W. Bush, I have come to a night to come tonight to address this congregation. To my sisters and brothers, fellow warriors for the cause of Christ, in normal circumstances, we would anxiously be counting down the days to end our fast and begin the awakening. Tonight, no such mindset has occurred because the awakening has already begun. Hallelujah. Not awakening as such in times past, but a great awakening like nothing we have ever seen or experienced before. We have seen it in our children as they have prophesied under the unction of the Holy Ghost of a revival that cannot be contained in our new building. We have seen it in our young people who have witnessed firsthand God heal the sick and raise the dead. Their faith has soared, and they believe that God will do wonders. We have seen it in our adults who have willingly and passionately sought to go to new levels in God, levels they never dreamed were possible or even meant for them. And we have seen it in our elders who have had the faith to believe that there are greater things in store for this generation than that of previous generations. And they do not begrudge it. They rejoice in it. We have experienced a great awakening through the miraculous power of God in our midst. Power that has healed deaf ears while the word of God was being preached. Power that has healed cancer, which doctors have confirmed. We're talking about power that speaks life into a failed kidney and gives joy in place of sorrow. Power that reverses critically high blood pressure to the point that medications must be reduced. It is the power of God. This miraculous power raised the dead before our eyes. It's a power that breathes the breath of life into a body deprived of oxygen and had the power to leave the body 100% whole. This is the only power that has taken lives wrapped in sin and bound by addictions and set them free filling them with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. We are witnesses, and we are believers. But our adversary is angry. He is no longer playing games. He will not have a book of Acts church in this region. No, not here, not in the city of Frankfurt. He means business and will stop at nothing to stop CLC. 
He will lock up our finances through unbelievers, both outside of this congregation and within the four walls of our church. He will strike fear in the hearts of the saints that they or their loved ones will be the next to have their very life taken from them. He will plant terrorists within our midst, wolves in sheep's clothing, appearing and pretending to be saints, to cause division and dissension with the intent to destroy the church. He will send seducing spirits to prey on the weak. He will send perverse spirits to attach themselves to flesh that has not been conquered through prayer and fasting. Pride will rise at his command in those that have not learned that it is not by their might, nor by their power, nor by the laying on of their hands that healing and deliverance comes. Be on guard. Be aware. Church as usual is over. We will never be the same. This is war. We are in a fight that will either bring life or be assured that certain death is imminent. Time is of the essence. The finish line is quickly approaching. Some of your spouses hang in the balances by threads of addictions, alcoholism, nicotine, illicit drugs, prescription drugs, pornography, and sexual perversion. Some of our children are so entangled in lifestyles so hopeless that there appears to be no way out. Your grandchildren's eternity may rest in your very hands because they have no one to train them up in the way that they should go. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your co-workers will walk before you on judgment day. Will they thank you for fighting for their life? Or will they accuse you of never telling them that certain death was imminent? Hell has trapped them and taunts you with fear that if you say anything, they will retaliate against you in anger. Some of you would rather live in peace. Life or death, it is up to you. This is war. All of this has not been brought on us in a single day. It has been the battle of the ages, the battle for the souls of man, and the battle to stop the advancement of the church. All throughout the book of Acts and the accounts of the New Testament church, you will find recorded troubles, trials, tests, conflicts, and persecution. While the tactics have never changed, the fierceness of the attacks have gained intensity. Today, there is a genocide of Christians in the Middle Eastern countries. People who believe in Jesus Christ are being beheaded, crucified, and burned to their death because they refuse to deny him. In December, just across the Uganda border, 50 miles from the location of a Holy Ghost crusade, a Christian pastor was hacked to death in front of his congregation, who were then taken captive. 
Last week in India, 200 Christian churches were torched in an attempt to stop the propelling of the gospel. Darkness is all around us. What makes us think that this will never come to our soil? But the darker the night, the brighter the light of God's church. Some are asking, what is expected of me? Be resolute about your enlistment in this army. Deny your flesh, take up your cross, and follow him. There is no room for uncertainty, and there is no room for compromise with our adversary. If you have not died out to your flesh, do so and do it quickly. Take the stance of a kingdom warrior on your knees. Some are asking, how will we fight and win such a war? We will direct every resource at our command to further the kingdom of God. We will expose the tactics of our adversary and speak out against unrighteousness. We will not share authority, and this region is not big enough to coexist with him. God has ordained this church for this hour, for this region, for such a time as this. We have come to serve our adversary notice. This is war. Our demands are very simple. Get out. You have no authority here. You pretend to have power, but when Jesus took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, you lost the keys to your own house. We have the keys. Rest assured, we will possess our promise. You cannot persecute the church into extinction. Your attempts to weaken the church only strengthens it. You know the word. The gates of hell, the fortified powers of hell, will never prevail against the church. The stories of the miraculous will soon become the stories of yesterday, represented by a stone from the crossing of the Jordan. But I promise you, Christian Life Church will never forget who our enemy is. We will forever remember the scars that you have inflicted on God's people. We will not yield. We will not rest. We will not relent on waging war against you. We may be mocked. We may be persecuted. We may be scoffed at. Our eyes may grow dim as this battle goes on, and our knees may give way from kneeling before the Lord. But be scared. An army has risen that will be your biggest nightmare in the city of Frankfurt. 
Hell trembles at the name of Jesus. And because of you, we know how to call on his name all too well. Be aware that this is war. I employ this congregation tonight. Do not wait until you are in the battle to, to enlist in this war. Engage tonight. Don't feel like that we have already arrived because some of us have fasted 40 days and some of us have fasted 21 days. We have only been preparing for what is to come. Not only great battle, but great victory because he is our champion and he will fight our battles. What we have done this far has only been in preparation for the battle. If you are not in active duty, get in active duty. Pick up your weapons and engage in the war. The greatest weapons we have are not swords and shields. The greatest weapons we have are prayer, the word of God, and the name of Jesus. The name that is above every other name. Those weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds cannot stand in the face of Jesus. They, those weapons have supernatural power. Through them, you can bind it on earth and it will be bound in heaven. You can loose it on earth and it will be loosed in heaven. You can call things as though they were and they will come to pass. You can speak to the mountain and it has to move. Your enemies will be subject to you. Demons will have to flee at the name of Jesus and know that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. This is war. that we have is when we begin to praise God in advance for the victory that he has assured us. As I've already stated to you, we have had great battle and yet we have had great victory. We are assured tonight we have read the back of the book and we know who wins. We will be victorious. Every promise he has ever given will come to pass. If he has promised you healing, rest assured, he will heal. If he has promised you that he will save your children, rest assured, he will save your children. If he has and he has promised us provision, he will provide. And nothing that hell throws against us will be able to stand against the church. If God be for us, who can be against us? Give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Tonight, I make a very simple plea. If you are willing, even if you don't feel that you are able, God will enable you. But if you are willing to engage in this battle, it is real. Never allow the enemy to put doubt into your mind whether or not that there is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle. He will come at us from every possible angle. I don't mean that as bringing doom and gloom. It is simple common sense. It is demonstrated all throughout the word of God how that the enemies of God's people would rise up against them, would sneak in the, at them in the middle of the night, how that they would try to destroy and to take them captive. But in every instance, when God said, this is enough, it was enough. When he said, possess it, they possessed it. When he said, shout for the victory, and they did, the walls came down. When God says, this is it, you can take it to the bank. And the bank cannot hold it captive because if God promises it, it will come to pass. If you are willing to engage and you are willing to be an active member of the army on active duty, I ask you tonight to respond, to let the Lord know that I am in this for the long haul. I have no intention to retreat. I have no intention to give up. I have no intention to go back to where I was because what is before us is greater than anything that has ever been behind us. Let's respond to the call of God tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh. Come on, that's it. Your response is making a statement tonight. It's making a statement of where you stand. It's making a statement of your commitment to the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. The battle's not over because we're approaching the finish line of 40 or 21 days. But the battle is just beginning. It's what we're going to do when we walk out of here tonight. It's what the next two weeks are going to look like in our life. It's the number of souls we're going to pray out of the grasp of the enemy. Come on, wage war in your prayer tonight. Declare victory in the name of the Lord. I'll not back down. I'll not quit. I'll not accept defeat. 
Burn the bridges, burn the ships, no retreat. For victory is ours. Yeah.